Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast around simplifying for success. Simplification requires discipline and clarity of thought. This is not often easy in today's rapid-paced work environment. We've invited a few colleagues in data and information governance space to share their strategies and approaches for simplification. Today we will be speaking with Nancy Nemish. Nancy is a managing director at the digital startup Nemish Ventures. She focuses on AI, IoT, mobility, cybersecurity, and embedded systems. She's a keynote speaker, author, blogger, and advises many boards. Prior to Nemish Ventures, she was a leader at Google and Microsoft. She was named one of the most inspiring businesswomen in European technology by Inspiring 50. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Priya. Thank you so much for having me. So you're, you've been working towards humanizing AI. We want to focus on the intersection of privacy and security and AI. How do you think AI impacts privacy and security? Yeah, I, I, I am indeed working on putting the human touch on technology in general, and AI is part of it. We love using this word these days, artificial intelligence. The reality is it's nothing new. And really that intersection you mentioned, Priya, of uh, privacy, security, and AI is becoming more and more important. Um, and so the first concern with AI, basically, it's that potentially it has to replicate or to reinforce or even to amplify harmful biases. And we know that we as humans are biased. And so if you want to ensure that um, we we kind of uh, put the human at the center, then the main question at the intersection um, is, is really like how how do we um, avoid biases, which is a human issue? And uh, these biases can proliferate depending on the nature of the data collection that we perform. Uh, so you can have issues like the spillover effect. Um, you know, if you look at one of the most sensitive areas, it is facial recognition. And there are those systems that are being deployed um, now for years, actually, in cities and airports around the world. Uh, But if you look at, for example, how China is using facial recognition as a tool for more authoritarian control, for example, in Shenzhen, which uh, we we see the examples these days and elsewhere, uh, it is opening up a large opposition movement to this expansion. So... You know, there are many, many privacy issues that are emerging. Uh, We can see various organizations call for a ban on the use of facial recognition, right? Uh, And of course, machine recognition of faces has progressed very rapidly. You know, we have all these examples of uh, fuzzy images of cats or dogs, uh, you know, that, um, uh, you know, part of, uh, you know, the first steps you do with facial recognition, but even to individual humans, it's still imperfect what we see, but, but um, it's advancing very quickly. Uh, and so you can see many, many cities um, around the world, also in the United States, uh, San Francisco, for example, uh, Berkeley in California, uh, but also Cambridge, Northampton uh, in Massachusetts, Um, Even Oregon State have uh, adopted bans on the technology. And so that's one very important challenge for regulators is to pass privacy legislation that protects individuals against these adverse effects that may happen from the use of personal information in AI, AI. but also at the same time without restricting 
the AI development. So that intersection, Priya, that you are talking about is a highly sensitive balance between allowing the AI development to continue um, in a positive, non-harmful way, while at the same time having the right balance of uh, legislation that allows us to manage that data in a private and secure way. And of course, the, um, the challenges are big. So. Uh, yeah, in a nutshell, it's really about um, the balance on how you regulate without restricting the development. So you talked about facial recognition and obviously Facebook, for example, said that they're going to abandon their project, right? Um, so what are some of the biggest challenges with privacy and AI? I mean, we can probably focus on facial recognition or other some other aspects of AI as well. And uh, what are some of your of the tips to overcome some of these challenges? That's a great question. And actually, I'm glad you bring up the uh, Facebook example, because that role of the psychographic profiling of Facebook users uh, and the scandal that happened back in, uh, what is it, like five years ago, I believe, in 16, uh, with all the Cambridge Analytica, with all the implication for privacy, uh, within the US presidential election, that added a lot to, to the erosion of confidence that we see today. And, uh, you know, of course, to the threats to democracy that, that we can see, uh, you know, fueled by um, AI manipulating some of the democracy's levers. Um, also, uh, you may know about the other US company, Clearview AI, that violated Canadian privacy laws by collecting photographs of Canadian adults and even children for mass surveillance and for facial recognition without their consent, right? And, and for use for commercial sale. And that, of course, is reducing trust and confidence in the AI business. And I think that's the number one major challenge is that reduction of trust and confidence. And not only in the businesses that do this, but it reduces trust in entire countries' ability to appropriately direct um, uh, all those mass matters that are related to privacy and AI. Um, same example, you know, uh, Microsoft, who, ha who has removed uh, its database of 10 million facial photographs that were being used by large organizations like Alibaba, IBM, military researchers. And, and so, you know, most of those people whose faces were in the data set were not aware that their image had been included. And the companies are not doing this, you know, on purpose. It just happens that within the very complex areas that we're working on, uh, we are not ready uh, to address all these issues. So I would say that the three major issues that lead to that lack of trust or to reduce trust um, are number one, is the data accurate? So data accuracy is really important. And it's important to produce correct, you know, clean outputs. And that means, of course, you have to have algorithms that contain huge uh, data sets. And, and then managing under-representation or over-representation of certain groups in those data sets can result in inaccurate outcomes and that can lead to harmful decisions. And that algorithmic bias, most of the times, times it is created unintentionally. Nobody wants to do it on purpose, you know? Uh, but of course you may um, remember the famous example of uh, the voice recognition technology, the smart 
speakers that fail to understand minority voices or female voices or children voices because the algorithms are built from databases that contain maybe primarily male voices, right? And so, yeah, so data accuracy is one of the big challenges. Uh, the other one is, of course, how do I protect my data? Uh, so you produce these huge data sets, large amounts of data. Um, you, you run into a much higher privacy risk. Uh, and so it's, it's very hard to ensure data protection in that space. Uh, and so if you have data leaks, for example, uh, when privacy considerations are, are not taken into account, that's a huge challenge. And then, of course, when you start to see and define patterns in AI, and when AI starts to draw conclusions and starts to make decisions, then you have an issue around data control. And you know, if you look at AI that is, for example, used to uh, score credit risk, uh, and I've been working on a project just recently about that in the United States, uh, where, of course, you, you, AI is being used by financial institutions to score credit risk, but unintentionally is cutting credit lines of individuals who fit specific profiles. So you have to know, you have to understand that those decisions and data control can happen without you know, a customer's knowledge or their consent, or especially if the data driving these decisions is collecting without your knowledge, um, how do you deal with that? And so that can lead, of course, to, um, you know, a lot of other details that people may not be aware that they are being collected. And so when you start broadcasting these details online, then data control becomes a huge issue. And um, so I think these are some of the, the key challenges. In, in terms of your question, how to address those challenges, of course, you know, Today, we see new roles that are coming up in, in, um, in companies, you know, that are trying to create, um, let's say, a chief privacy officer or even a chief ethics officer uh, to work on the privacy in, in that context of AI. So uh, how to create um, the right organizational um, structure uh, is one aspect on addressing these, these, these challenges but also um, how do you basically look into, um, you know, the role of IT versus the broader business um, pro uh, professionals that work in companies. That's, that's a very important aspect of trying to address or addressing the challenges. So it's really the role of both um, the IT governance professionals, but also the privacy professionals to ensure that these AI-based um, privacy challenges are being oversight. And um, of course, on the other side, outside of the uh, business world, uh, there are key questions on how do we address that algorithmic discrimination, for example, in uh, as part of the privacy legislation. So to what extent um, can or should legislation address issues of algorithmic bias. Uh, in a way, and I've seen this in projects that we're working on recently, discrimination, for example, is not necessarily a privacy issue because it represents broad social issues that persist even without the collection and use of personal data. And so who should address that? 
Is it the civil rights laws? Is it the CTO of New York City, for example? Uh, who, who should actually work on this? And as soon as you start working on, you know, legislation, you open a huge Pandora's box because, of course, it's a political issue that you start touching, right? And so um, using that personal information about specific attributes, you know, or, um, making automated decision-making against or for the interests of specific individuals um, is, of course, bringing huge privacy interests um, in controlling how information is being used. So, so you have on the one side, you have the major um, uh, regulations on, on the privacy legislation that are part of uh, what the public sector should look into. And then you have the, pub, the private sector, of course, with the businesses that have a huge uh, role to play and, uh, and a very big responsibility here. Uh, and so, so there are many measures, of course, around accountability. Uh, we can talk about if you want, uh, but those those are some of the key challenges I would say, and how to how to overcome them. And and I think it's really all about collaborating. Uh, we have formed, for example, in the United States, I was working um, on a project that was putting together um, um, specialists from the public sector, the private sector. Um, the uh, startup accelerators, but also research think tanks uh, and put all these people together to try to address very, very specific issues around algorithmic bias, for example. And so I think only with broad collaboration, creating these bridges and involving um, humanities, not just IT and business, but really have an ethicist sit at the table, have a philosopher ethicist that can help address or formulate specific questions. But even having an anthropologist is important, you know. So I think it's really important to uh, broaden up our thinking by collaborating across disciplines. Yeah. So you talked about collaboration. Um you know, just outside the company, across the board, across various stakeholders, but even within the company, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, IT and privacy, for example, getting together and maybe IT and risk management getting together to kind of have a coalition to sort of look at and address these problems. So when you have these coalitions and when you're trying to kind of address some of these challenges, how can you use, if, if I can use the word metrics, but how do you know where the privacy implications are? So end of the day, you need to be able to understand the issue at a very high level, but you also be able to spot it. So know how to identify and know how to kind of flag it for all the stakeholders, right? Whether it's bringing IT, bringing risk to the table or privacy to the table to sort of have a conversation about it and flag some of these things so the issues are dealt with in a more proactive manner and what kind of metrics or measures can you put in place and how has it kind of helped improve your program so more examples of things that you've seen people do and what has worked so well um, so far. Yeah, that's really a great question. And uh, I just want to bring this example, you know, uh, I work for Microsoft in the United States right now, and uh, we formed a coalition, uh, exactly like you said, Priya, we actually formed a coalition that is called the National Council for Artificial Intelligence. 
And uh, we did this about, we started about a year and a half ago. And I have to say, uh, not surprisingly, it, it was something very new. So people are just starting to talk about this. You know, first we had to drive awareness of what the issue is broadly, also in the media. And even at the, at the very sophisticated uh, companies such as Microsoft and their partners, you know, we, we started this national coalition for the financial services sector. Um, then now we are doing this for the healthcare and insurance sector. And it's really amazing how we were able, because we actually um, formed this as a collaborative, collective effort, where we said, look, let's take three or four or five of the major financial institution companies and invite them to join this coalition together with the technology company, with research think tanks such as the Brookings Institution in the United States, but also with the academia, you know, like uh, major universities from Stanford all the way to uh, SUNY, CUNY in New York and others. Uh, so you have the academic representation uh, all the way to startup accelerators from Silicon Valley. And let's invite their people that are in charge of AI in the broadest sense to basically identify some of the key issues that they need to address. And that's how we actually, one of the um, things we came up with uh, was around um, fraud detection and, and standards um, that we need for that and, and building that coalition in a diligent way. And then really working on a framework on what is important for that particular industry, uh, what issue we want to address, and then putting our brains together, it sparked a really important dialogue, which didn't exist before, because nobody was thinking before to put these people all together and to identify issues that are common to everyone and then to really start um, to work on it. And so I think to your point and, and about your question, like, like what kind of metrics would you use, at the end of the day, we really have to go very deeply, very specific. So, you know, if you identify, uh, let's say, uh, algorithmic bias as an issue, then some of the key metrics around that are, for example, transparency, right? So how do you be basically use algorithmic decision-making, right? What are the specific privacy issues that are most important to most consumers? You know, we're talking here about banks and financial institutions. Um, but then how do we involve the regulators? Um, what is the benchmark that allows us to examine data handling and, and keep the companies and all the other actors accountable? And of course, what are the privacy in this context um, of, of your questions here is, you know, what privacy disclosures require a description of what and how data is being collected, is being used, uh, or is being protected, right, to enhance that benchmarking. So transparency is one of the key metrics around that. And then, of course, very famously is uh, explainability. So, uh, you know, of course, transparency enables you to understand well in advance what the algorithm is doing, but explainability is giving you more of a retroactive information about how you used algorithms in specific decisions. And, and of course, 
To that respect, you know, the EU is using GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, and we know that that requires for any automated decision, you need to uh, work on specific legal aspects, right? So if you have, for example, a credit line or an insurance coverage, or even employment, um, the person that is affected um, uh, at the end of the day, there is a human in the loop at some point. So at the end of the day, we know that all the automation has to have an element of human in the loop uh, in, in specific processes. And that's also an important metric. Where is the point where you put the human in the loop for decisions that really affect people's lives? Uh, and how do you combine that power of machine in a way with human judgment and of course with empathy, right? And so uh, of course the other aspect and a very important metric is um, how do you assess risk, right? And um, risk assessment is, is a very important way of trying to understand potential biases and design that data um, in a way that potentially reduces bias. Uh, so risk assessment is important to look at. And of course, at the end of the day, you look at audits uh, that evaluate your privacy practices, uh, you know, end to end. And so, um, you know, when you look at algorithmic decision making and uh, with a foresight and a hindsight um, and, uh, you, you know, one of the clear lessons from our um, debates that we had in our coalitions um, have actually we are um, publishing this in um, white papers that we're working on right now, in uh, panel discussions where we have these experts um, talking about the importance of, of our findings and, and it's really very pointed. So it's, it's not general aspect, but really very, very specific. And uh, we know that it's very important to ask key questions like, you know, what happens if the algorithm is designed in a way that was not intended by the human being. And, and you know, how do we deal with the people that were not, um, you know, treated equally? And even just having that type of conversation was new. Uh, it's pretty revolutionary. I can see that in the United States. And I think um, the United States is absolutely a pioneer in this area and uh, absolutely a um, leader. Uh, and so seeing that we can advance this, I, I wish we would have much more of these discussions that are very pointed um, uh, here in Europe as well, where I feel like uh, we have uh, more of the political conversation, but not enough of the coalition type of conversation I see in the United States. So you mentioned a few things, but I wanted to focus a little bit on the um, AI component, right? Like, see, most people probably have heard about the bias in AI, but you kind of look at a couple of examples, right? So you kind of look at, oh, yeah, we want to make sure that when you're looking, looking at people's credits, credit risk, there should be no bias. And the other big area of focus is obviously bias in hiring, right? So because yeah. you, these are obvious examples and it's something that, you know, comes up all the time. And I think there is some level of understanding around ethics um, and, and the need to have some controls around it. But how do you build an awareness 
for especially technology professionals who are not sort of looking at ethics and privacy on a regular basis, that AI, I mean, they probably know it, but I often sort of wonder um, how much they recognize it, right? That AI is everywhere. And and decision-making around AI is also pretty much everywhere. Maybe the impact of the decision varies, but for example, facial recognition, um, you know, how it can make a difference, you know, when you start incorporating it into all kinds of things, similarly chatbots and, um, you know, customer ratings uh, of just feedback and reviews and, for example, our uh, behavior when we take a ride with Uber to or or you know Lyft or any other car services or when we go stay in hotels or um, an Airbnb. So how do you how do you sort of build that awareness that AI is everywhere and there are decisions being made by AI that can have both privacy implications, security implications, as well as biases. Yeah, and that's a really, really good question because, you know, we can still see all the uh, hype around AI, I think, uh, and we spoke about this a lot, right? Um, you know, it's it's due to the term. Now, we finally have a term, AI, that allows humans to be very creative on what they understand uh, by it. Um, but I would say, really, the most important thing about building awareness is simply education. Just educate. And it is absolutely the job of everyone in a company, not just the technical, but the business, uh, from all the way from the CEO to everyone in the company. So why is this so important is because having the right education and raising the right awareness will allow us to remove, remove some of the hype, show people the opportunity, of course, the challenges as well, but most importantly, it's really the opportunity of creating strong communities of interest. And what I, we can see today is um, that we we really do not have the right skilled people uh, that we need. And driving that awareness around what AI is, the media has a huge role, of course, on, on the creation of awareness. What can be done? What should we do? Um, how can you create something that I like to call a digital hygiene, you know, in the reference to what users can do. So it's not just about the companies, but it's about you and me who are using our social media, for example. And so how can I ensure my safety of my digital identity? Uh, and so really, I think the curricula in universities, this is really also one of the reasons why we have academia of part of our coalitions that we created, is to ensure that we understand the right skills and the right types of education we need now and in future and what type of knowledge we need to, to drive, what kind of digital literacy uh, we need to put into our education systems. And of course, I think that should start at very, very early age, uh, not just at the university degree stage, 
But really, uh, that digital literacy needs to be improved for people of all ages, all genders, all cultural backgrounds throughout the entire world so that everybody can learn about their rights online, about their opportunities with these tools that we already use everywhere. And creating those communities I was mentioning, that's the reason why I founded a community that is called Humanize. Uh, and also I founded a community that is called Miss AI, you know, just to raise awareness that we need more gender representation, more diversity, more inclusion at all levels. And I really think that awareness you build through communities that are working on education, on showing the opportunities, but also the dangers uh, and, uh, of course, on the uh, opportunities to um, kind of level up education in schools. And, you know, the impact of AI, even though we have a lot of hype and, and people speak about general artificial intelligence and conscious machines and all that stuff, which I think will take ages until that even nearly comes to, uh, to uh, you know, nearly to what people dream about or science fiction dreams about. Uh, but still, AI impact is underestimated. And that's where also different organizations, different associations um, should uh, visit schools, for example, you know, uh, universities and schools and organize events to raise that awareness. Like you said, you know, what are the issues? Uh, what can, how can that be addressed? And also, you know, provide benefits. Like what is your benefit if you really uh, start looking into this? And of course, awareness wouldn't exist without communities and lobby. And governments are engaging now in specific lobbying opportunities. I think GDPR is one of those. Uh, and that will protect people in that cyberspace. And uh, so we need to stay very uh, careful, very attentive. Uh, of course, harmful AI systems can affect pe people all over the world. Uh, it can come to really ugly scenarios. But um, again, if we have the human in the loop and uh, if we uh, always ensure that um, technology is only an enabler, uh, for humans. And if we really create that multi-stakeholder system and keep being engaged because we have the opportunity, just like in your podcast here, to really, you know, have a great collaboration. I think what you do, Priya, is great because you are now raising awareness with your podcast on very specific topics, very deep um, tech topics. And, uh, you know, the pandemic shows that, you know, we are being pushed into this cyberspace. Um, and it's essential that we know our rights. And, uh, you know, we, we are clear on what, uh, what our privacy should mean. So we need to be attentive. I think the bottom line here is we need to be careful and attentive on how this technology is being used and stand together for you know, a equal and democratic digital space and make it safe. And you make it safe by educating and uh, raising awareness, like you said. As you build your diligence, accountability and audit framework for AI, how do you simplify to make sure that it's successful? 
<laughs> yeah, I love your question. That's a really good question. How do you simplify such a complex area, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's both an art and a science, I would say, at the same time, considering uh, that you have a complex uh, landscape, let's say in, in this particular example um, of privacy security, you have ethics of technology uh, trying to solve specific privacy challenges. And simplification here really means finding the balance between technological innovation, privacy considerations, development of a social responsible AI, you know, and that balance should create public value in the long term. Um, so how you simplify that, I think that's a big question that I don't have an answer really to how to simplify. I think really it's, it's about, you know, bottom line being clear that um, you, you have specific frameworks to use. Um, you really uh, realize that technological benefits uh, are there, but they can also harm individuals' privacy. Um, so in a way, you know, if you use good data hygiene um, and you really focus on good data sets, we keep talking about good data. It's not about just the volume, but about the quality of data. So one way is to not focus on volume, but really focusing on quality of data. And that way a developer can build more simple AI using uh, accurate and fair data sets. And, you know, that where possible, the AI algorithms can audit and ensure the quality of other algorithms. So even there, to simplify, you can use technology. Uh, I also think simplification means users have more control. Uh, when you allow users to uh, know when their data is being used, uh, how AI is being used to make decisions about them, uh, you know, transparency is a way of simplifying uh, these things. And, and they should also be given a choice to uh, consent to such data use. So a few a few big rules that every society and every company should have uh, can lead to that simplification. But I think it's still a long way to get there uh, because simplifying is an art and, and it's the most difficult thing to do. Any other closing thoughts? Um, yeah, so Priya, I would say, uh, you know, for this particular topic, which you chose for, for this podcast today, I think what's really important is for us as humans to stand together to make it a safe and democratic and inclusive digital space. It's important to really stay vigilant, to raise awareness, uh, but also important not also only to talk about protecting yourself, but also protecting others. Also when it is about, you know, your personal space. So, you know, to conclude, I would say really, if we don't stand up uh, as uh, individuals and if we don't form uh, communities of common interests, 
it will be um, hard to control this space. And, and uh, it's really important to look at this from a, a democratic point of view. How do we keep our democracies uh, function? How do we avoid manipulations? Uh, and how do we really um, update our education systems to uh, avoid uh, polarization or radicalization or even these echo chambers? Um, and so that really is through uh, dialogues like this, I believe, and continuing this uh, in, in many different ways. Thank you so much for your time, Nancy. Very great, interesting thoughts here. So I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you so much, Priya. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing what the audience will have to say about our conversation.